Okay, here we go. Uh, I know it's late on the eve of Shabbos, which is the eve of Passover. So technically speaking, as far as Passover preparations go, this is the eve of Passover. But uh, I think tomorrow is going to be even busier than today was. So I want, don't want to miss out on the opportunity to share some ideas with you. For those of you who listened to my step-by-step guide to running your own Passover Seder, this is uh, a, a new take on things. And uh, we'll try to keep it a little more brief because I know it's a busy day. So for those of you who joined us yesterday, you know that the Talmud teaches us a foundation of the Passover Seder is that we're supposed to tell over the story of the Exodus from Egypt, our national history, in a specific style. We're supposed to tell over the story in question and answer form. And throughout the entire night, many, many of the, the ceremonies that we do, many of the customs, are entirely there for one purpose. And that is to get the kids at the table to ask questions. Now, it starts off with, uh, we go and we wash our hands in the kitchen like we normally do on a Friday night, but we don't make a blessing. Then we come back to the table and we eat a tiny little piece of vegetable dipped in salt water. Now, if that, the kids should begin to be wondering, why are we doing this? This is different than what we normally do. We end up leaning as we eat our food. We eat all these special foods in strange ways. We, uh, and, and as we, the night progresses, we keep moving the Seder plate from one side of the room to the other. We cover the matzah. We uncover the matzah. We take it off the table. We put it on the table. And the whole goal is to get the kids invested. Because when a person asks a question, it creates a space. And as Socrates taught us, Socratic method is when you ask a question, you're engaged, you're involved. And that's really the Jewish way of educating. But it goes much, much deeper. Because if you think about it, on this night we're celebrating our freedom. Freedom from slavery. And something that major that separates a free person from a slave is that slaves can't question authority. And not all, Jude- not all religions are like Judaism in this regard, but we welcome questions. All questions are okay. There's no such thing as a bad question as your teacher told you in fourth grade. But in Judaism, it's truly believed that it's through questions that we learn because when you ask a question, you create a space. And in that space, you can receive. If your cup is full, then there's no room for more. And that's, that's really the foundation is that freedom is challenging and questioning and searching. And the message that we're trying to give over to our children is that to be Jewish means to challenge authority and to ask questions. And from the beginning of time until today, Jews have always been at the forefront of challenging the status quo. From Abraham, who challenged and smashed the idols of his time, literally and figuratively. Abraham was called Avram Ha'ivri. Ivri is the way you say Hebrew. In Hebrew, literally means the one from over there, the one who crossed over. He crossed over the Tigris and Euphrates rivers from uh, Syria or Iraq into the land of Israel. And, but the Talmud says it means it much, in a much more profound way. It means that the entire world was on one side of the proverbial philosophical theological river, and Abraham crossed over to a new dimension, a new way of thinking in regards to God, spirituality, and the meaning of life. 
And from that time on, Jews have been at the forefront of every revolution in our own time, from communism, physics, Albert Einstein, physical revolution, psychology, Sigmund Freud, to all the modern isms, whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, or just about, just about anything, any movement that's progressive or that challenges authority, Jews are there at the forefront. So, but let's try to get a little bit deeper. And I want to share with you an unbelievable idea. This Haggadah starts off in a very strange way. The Magid section of the Haggadah, where we tell the story of the Exodus, begins with a statement in Aramaic. And the rest of the Haggadah is, for the most part, in Hebrew. This is a statement in Aramaic, which is the language spoken in Babylon, outside the land of Israel. And we say, Halach ma'anya, this is the bread of affliction, the bread of poverty, that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. And we lift up the matzah. And that is itself very strange, because the matzah, as we're going to learn at the end of the Haggadah, is the bread of freedom. It's the bread that we ate when we left Egypt. It's not the bread that we ate in Egypt when we were slaves. It's question number one. Then we say, anyone who's hungry, come and eat. We're inviting the poor into our table to join us for Passover. And I, uh, unfortunately, it's a little bit late because we already started the meal. And uh, whoever's listening is uh, already in our house. So what are we doing there? And then we say something even more puzzling. Hashta Avde. Now we are slaves. Lashana Habab Benechor. Next year, we, may we be free. Now, isn't the whole night celebrating our freedom from slavery? What do you mean, now we're slaves? I ain't no slave. I don't know about you. What are we talking about? And this is the way the Haggadah begins. Now we are here next year in the land of Israel. And as we all know, the Haggadah ends L'Shana Haba Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. But... It almost begs the question. We're talking about our exodus from Egypt to, into the land of Israel. And uh, yet we start out saying, we're not in the land of Israel. Now, even if you're in Israel, you read this same statement. Because Israel is not a state. Israel is a state of mind. And uh, until all the Jewish people are back in the land of Israel, we don't consider ourselves home fully. And we go into the Manashtana, four questions that the kids are supposed to ask. And... The uh, the Talmud commentaries on the Talmud point out that uh, two different reasons for why we say the Marashtana. One reason is to get the kids in the mood of asking questions. Get them in the mood. But another commentary, the Rashbam, points out that we're simply getting the kids to ask questions. Once they ask any question... That's good. You don't even have to say the four questions anymore because the goal is just to get them to ask anything. Now, I'm very, very bothered by this because think about it as follows. We just did all these crazy rituals. We're moving the table here, there. We're washing our hands. We're not making a blessing. We're dipping. We're eating fruit. There's a little vegetable. We're doing all these strange customs to get the kids to ask questions. But what happens when they ask the question? Hey, Tati, Abba, Daddy, why did you just do that? What's the answer? Ha! Got you! Ha ha! I got you to ask a question. Now I'm going to go stand on my head and get you to ask me why I'm doing that. 
Is that the way we educate our kids? That the goal is to ask questions, but they're questions that don't have answers because the whole reason we're doing it is just to get you to ask the question. That's not education. That's not Judaism to say, there's lots of questions and you know what? Ha ha ha, I'm not gonna answer them because you know what? There are no answers. Really, really bothered me when I realized that, that the, we get the kids to ask questions and the questions don't have answers. Because so many of the things we do on the night of Passover is simply to get the kids to ask questions. There's no reason for what we're doing. Is that the answer? Is that the Jewish answer? Yes, we just do it. We do it. There's no reason why we do it. It's just rituals. It's ancient. It's, uh, it's tradition. That's not the Judaism that I know. Judaism, everything has meaning. Every single thing has meaning from the simple, uh, simple explanation, the legal halachic explanation, to the Kabbalistic. There's not a single custom in Judaism from the foods we eat, from the way we dress, that doesn't have incredible purpose and meaning. To the point that as Jews, we believe that everything in our life has meaning. There's not an accident in your life. Every place that you've been, every experience, every thought, every person you come in contact with, everything you overhear, when things go wrong, it's all for a purpose. It's all part of a master plan. So if that's the case, so why are we having our kids ask questions that don't have answers? So I want to answer this with a, a story from the Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer was the leader of Slovakian Jewry a few hundred years ago. Lived in the town of Pressburg, which is now Bratislava, which is my, where my family hails from, where my father was born in Slovakia. And the Chassam Sofer one time was... Uh, talking with his son, Ksav Sofer. And his son asked him a question on the Talmud. And the Chassam Sofer responded to his son, let me think about it and I'll get back to you in a few days. Come back to me in two days and ask me again. Two days later, his son came back to him and he asked the question again. And this time his father gave him a simple answer. And his son said, Tati, why didn't you answer me two days ago? I know you knew the answer then. And his father responded, because a Jew has to learn to live with questions. We all have questions in our life. There is so much that's unclear. The Chassam Sofer goes on to explain the conclusion of the Haggadah. For anyone who stays up until the very end, the very end of the Haggadah, after we finish benching, we, we eat the matzah, we eat the afikomen, we say halal, we bench, we say halal, and then... At the very end, we welcome in Eliyahu, Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. The very last thing before you are blackout, exhausted, is a song. Seemingly a kid's song. It's like, you made it this far. You're already drunk on four cups of wine. You're exhausted. It's way past midnight. And now we're going to start singing about barnyard animals. Chad, Gad, Yab. <laughs> And we like to make kids' noise, animal noises, and the cat comes and he eats the goat, and oh, poor goat, and a dog. Woof, woof. We have a whole thing. It's it's so cute. But why in the world are we singing this children's song? It's like uh, I know an old lady who swallowed a fly, or like Old MacDonald. We're singing it at two in the morning. The kids aren't awake anymore. Why are we singing this song now? I know if you were with me last night for the seder of the uh, the, the overall structure of the seder. We talked about the importance of asking questions in the sense of getting in touch with your childhood side, your curiosity, but this is a little bit ridiculous. So the Kabbalists explain many different meanings 
the Chad Gadya. But I want to share with you one from the Chasim Sofer, who we just mentioned, along the lines of the story that we just said. The, 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 there's a cute little goat. And comes along a cat and eats the goat. Poor goat, that mean, naughty cat. Bad cat. Then comes the dog and takes vengeance for the goat and eats the cat. Good dog. Comes the stick and hit, hits the dog. Bad stick. Comes the fire, burns up the stick. Good fire. Comes the water, puts out the stick, puts out the fire. Bad water. Then comes the cow, drinks the water. Cow is good. Am I getting myself confused? Let's see. Then comes the shochit, the slaughter, and he slaughters the cow. Shochit is bad. Then comes the malach hamavis, the angel of death, and kills the shochit. Angel of death is good. And then comes God himself and kills the angel of death. God is bad. What? How could that be? Did I read it right? I did. How could it be that comes out that God is bad? Says the Chassam Sofer, sometimes in life, it looks like God is bad. We live in a world of suffering. We live in a world of so much hardship. Coronavirus, anti-Semitism, Holocaust, disease, wars, poverty, divorce, broken relationships, abuse, trauma, addictions. We live in a world with so much suffering. Sometimes it looks like God is bad. Sometimes it looks like God isn't even here, isn't even with us, doesn't care. How do we deal with those questions? Answers the Chassam Sofer that the goal of this night is to learn the taste of Amunah. Amunah means faith in God, faithfulness in our belief in God. That the Jewish people through our history came face to face with God through the experiences in the exodus of Egypt to the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were shown that God exists. No time in human history before or after was there a revelation to an entire nation. It's an event that's impossible to fake. So impossible that no one's ever done it before or after. Every other revelation of God in the history has been one person, maybe a couple of people who saw God in a cave alone and came back and taught the rest of the world. But here's an experience where an entire nature came face to face with God. As Jews, we believe that it's our job to use our intellect to find God through science, through history, through evidence. Faith is not a leap of faith. Faith is faithfulness. The word amuna is from the word of a, a workman, a, a craftsman, someone whose hands are faithful. Faith is that we know there's a God, and now let us be faithful to that belief in the times when we don't see Him, in the times where He seems absent. The Haggadah begins with questions. This is the bread of affliction. This is the bread of poverty. I know I'm supposed to be eating the bread of freedom, but it tastes like a piece of matzah. I don't taste freedom. I haven't experienced true freedom in my life. I'm a slave. What do you mean you're a slave? Yeah, we're all slaves because we live in an imperfect world. We're all slaves to one addiction or another, whether it's our phones, whether it's 
relationships that aren't so healthy, whether it's food, whether it's work, whether it's negative thought patterns, we're all enslaved. How many people can say that they're living their lives to their full potential? How many people are fulfilling their dreams? How many people can say that they're not enslaved, that they're free from their base desires, negative thoughts, negative habits? We're all enslaved one way or another. We welcome in people into our home to point out that there are poor people that were still living outside the land of Israel. The Exodus was not a complete redemption. We got out of one slavery into another. The history has not completed itself. We have not yet seen the final goal of Jewish history. And we have questions on God. Why are we living in an imperfect world? Why aren't you revealing yourself now to us as you did long ago? Says the Chassam Sofer, a Jew has to learn to live with questions. The Louis Pascal, I believe his name was, Pascal, great French philosopher and mathematician, was once asked by the king of France, I believe King Louis the something. <laughs> What's a proof of God's existence in this world? And Pascal responded, the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. Because Jewish history is pure miracle. Given all the challenges that we've been through, living outside our homeland for 2,000 years, persecuted and hated throughout the world, and yet we survived and we held on to our faith because the message of Judaism is that a Jew has to learn to live with questions. And that is the message that we tell our children on the night of Passover. These rituals that we're doing, there's one purpose to all the things that we do tonight, to get you to ask why. And you know what, my son? You know what, my daughter? My beautiful, beautiful children? I want you to know there aren't always answers to your questions, but you still have to ask them. Because when you ask why, you're opening yourself up to the possibility of receiving an answer. And you're building a relationship with the one who put you in the situation in the first place. So my blessing to all of you is on this Passover, we have the courage to ask why. Because there's no... There's nothing wrong with asking questions. If you have a religion or ideology that is real, that's based on fact, that's based on history, that's historical evidence, that's based on intellectual inquiry, there's no fear of asking questions. We don't mind questions. We welcome questions because that's how we learn. That's how we come to truth. The entire Talmudic system is based off of challenging, questioning, arguing, fighting. And that's how one becomes great but it same is with god there's nothing wrong with asking god questions why why did this happen to me why does my life look the way it is why is the world look the way it is and you know what even though i might not get an answer i still believe that there's a master plan i still believe it's all for the good i still believe that history is taking us to a destination to a final redemption where all will be clear where we'll have answers to all of our questions 
There's a phrase in the Talmud, when a question remains unanswered, we say teku. Teku means let it stand. But uh, there are those that explain that teku is the acronym for Tishbi Yuteretz Kushiyas Ve'abayas. Tishbi is Eliyahu Hanavi. Elijah the prophet will come and answer all the questions that we have. That's why we open the door for Elijah on the night of Passover, because we're welcoming the Messianic era. Where we'll be able to look at all the questions, all the unanswered questions in our life and in history, and we'll finally be able to see how it was all for a purpose. There's a reason for everything. And that is the redemption, the Geula, the Messianic era that we're all longing for. May it come speedily in our time. May this be our last Passover in exile outside the land of Israel. May we all celebrate together next year. Lashana Haba B'Yerushalayim. All the Jewish people together in Jerusalem. May it be completely rebuilt and restored. May the entire Jewish family return to our homeland together. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing you all a beautiful, beautiful Passover to you and your families.